radio show podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Cleveland. My guest today is Keith Belvin, author of From Gigolo to Jesus. Keith stops by the show to share his story of sleeping with close to 400 women, being a serial cheater, and how the Lord turned him totally around. Today, he is walking in his purpose. Don't go away. You want to listen to this interview. Okay, welcome to the show, Keith. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Go appreciate being here. Absolutely. Look, when I heard about your story and I heard uh, your book, the title of your book is From Gigolo to Jesus, right? Yes. And what you do is you really, you minister and you speak to when you coach broken women because of your backstory, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Good, good, good. So we're going to get all into that. But you know what? Tell me a little bit about Keith. How would you describe yourself? Uh, I am a changed man. First of all, first and foremost, I'm a happily married man, um, father of seven. Mm -hmm. um, And I am a transformed man. I I am the epitome of the grace that God grants those who come to an understanding that their sins are their sins and that you need to do something about it. And so um, what I am is somebody who wants to help others because there were people in my life who prayed and held tight to, to the Lord and continued to pour into me long before I knew who God wanted me to be. I've always known who God was. I just never embraced him but he was always a part of my life. But like a lot of sinners, I kept them just off to the side so I could sin and do the things I wanted to do and then kind of call on them if I was caught up into something. But what I am now is simply a person that has embraced um, the Lord and tries to serve the Lord the best I can with the, my testimony, my, my writing, my counseling, and the things that I do. 37 years was spent for me. The last 17 has been spent for God. Amen. Amen. I love that. So you wrote um, in our radio submission form, you wrote, um, there's a question that I ask and I say, how will your story help others? And you said, from my journey, from male whore to man of God, many will learn a man can atone for his sins and God will forgive even if the people around do not. My story helps others with learning true love can be found after a bad marriage and a sinful behavior. So this series is starting over after divorce and you are on your second marriage and you are happily remarried. I love that. I saw that. Happily divorced and happily married. Right. Happily remarried and happily divorced. Tell me a little bit about your backstory. You were 
married for how long? What happened in the marriage? How did it end? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I was married for eight years um, to a young lady I dated for two years. And so for 10 years, I was with this young lady. And I'm never going to speak negative about her. Um, we just shouldn't have got married. And we got married for all the wrong reasons. We got married because I found out I had a child outside of my relationship. Me and her had been together 10 months. And I found out I had a child who was 13 or 14 months. So the, the timeline shows that I didn't cheat on her while I hadn't gotten caught cheating at that time. Um, and we wound up getting married. And I got married because I felt like I didn't want to be the person that had a baby here and baby there. And so that's why I got married. Turns out I was that dude anyway. And so, and I should have listened to my mother because my mother was like, you ain't got to marry nobody. Just take care of your kids. And I didn't listen. And I got married because I thought that was a thing to do. Um, it turns out I should have listened to my mom. Uh, over those eight years, we produced two beautiful sons and we went through a lot of turmoil because when marriage is not founded on any type of spiritual foundation, when marriage is not centered on love itself being the thing that is going to pull you together, it is not the base. Let me just say that to anybody watching. Love is not the base. Love is a thing that brings you together. Love is a thing that helps push you through. The base is God. The mm. base is, is, is deciding that we're going to have foundation in God and then the love surrounds that. I didn't have that in my first match. Um, I wasn't, I was never and have never been physically abusive, but I was spiritually abusive. And I was emotionally abusive because I was distant. And when you're in a marriage with somebody, and I used to, and I used to say this all the time because I'm a former poet. I was not a married man. I was just in a marriage. See, a married man takes the role of being a husband. I was just in a marriage, so it was the role that came with it, and there's a big difference. And so I had been cheating before, during um, the marriage because it didn't mean anything to me. And and that's another thing too is that you know if you start off with lies, you will continue to tell lies, and that's what I did. And I continued to tell lies, and it just went downhill from there. And then when we finally realized that it wasn't working, it was. And and the thing that was the turning point when I knew it was time to go. My four-year-old son at the time, um, I was in the living room, wife is in the bedroom. My four-year-old son shows up and says, daddy, can I tell you something? I said, sure, little man, what's up? And he goes, how come you and mommy don't hug and kiss like his uncle and his aunt? Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you come home and you're in the living room. And when mommy comes home, she's in the bedroom, but y'all don't never hug and kiss. And I said, no, nah, that's not true, pop. We hug and kiss. He said, no, no, no. And he was comparing what he saw to his aunt and uncle. And he realized that they were very affectionate, very romantic, and, and none of that was in place. At that moment, I realized, and I was always an intelligent man, so you know, thank God for that. I realized that I was raising a four-year-old, and my other son was eight at the time. I was, raising, I was raising my sons to believe that a marriage is dad in one room, mom in the other. Mm. And I was like, no, now I'm damaging them with this foolishness. It's time mm -hmm. to end it but I didn't know how to end it. And one of the things that happens to a lot of men who don't have plans when they get in bad relationships, same thing with women, you don't know how to actually put it to rest. Mm. So I made one of the biggest mistakes that I could have made was that I said, I didn't want to be with her anymore, but didn't have an exit strategy. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a plan. 
So it was the hardest four months on the planet. And then when we finally decided that was it, I decided I'm just going to go back home, stay with my mother and grandmother. The last day I was leaving, packed up everything, everything that I'm down to like the last couple of things. She goes, you really should stay. We have children. We can work this out. And a little voice was like, maybe we could. But this is something that I tell women and I tell men when I'm counseling. Don't listen to that voice. Hmm. What you have to listen to is common sense. We had done nothing to fix anything. This is a human reaction to being the, the possibility of being alone. She was asking me to stay because she was thinking about herself. I didn't want to stay because I was thinking about myself. So you got two selfish people talking to each other, but not really listening to each other. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit said to me, now, this is what people not understanding. If you're not a, of the faith, you're not going to, none is going to make sense, but it's okay. The Holy Spirit said, you know, you didn't do anything. You didn't do any work. So what you going to stay for? Mm-hmm. And I said to her, no, this ain't going to work. I'm going to go. And not 30 seconds after I said that, the venom from her came out. I was every name in the book. I, get the I'm like, whoa. But I laughed. And I said, there you go. That's who I was looking for. That's the chick I'm leaving. And I left. And that first night back at my mother and grandmother's house, I remember sitting in my bedroom and to be back home in my 30s, feeling like a failure. I was in tears. And, and like most men, I cry in private or cried in private. I don't have no problem crying now. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother came to the door and and rest in peace to my mother and grandmother. She said, let me tell you something. She said, cry tonight and then get your ASS up and start living life. We didn't raise you to be soft. God didn't Mm. create you to be soft. And ain't no woman going to break you. We didn't teach you that. So get it together tonight and you start living your life. You want her to feel bad about y'all not being together? Then turn out more than you could have ever been with her. And that's That's exactly what I did. And that started me on the route to change in my life because I realized I wanted to be something different. I still needed to be a father. And that was the, the, the turning point of me starting to make moves. I still was out of control. Um, but that was the start. And that's how my, my previous marriage, and it was not pretty. Um, there were some very low points, um, having aborted a child towards the end, but yet I was out in the streets creating another child. Mm-hmm. And I say this all the time to, and I work mostly with women, but I say this to the men, you cannot heal the person you hurt if they're not ready to even listen to anything or you haven't fixed yourself, leave them alone. Because men tend to, baby, I'm sorry and think the sorry is enough. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do when I do work with men, I say, imagine a porcelain plate, you throw it down on the floor. Yell, I'm sorry. Does that fix the plate? Absolutely not. And depending on how hard you threw it and depending on how bad it's broken, the only thing that you can do is sweep up the pieces and throw them out. There is no repair. So you cannot fix the person you broke with, I'm sorry. The work that's required has to start within you and know that you're on such a path that when you come back to say, I'm sorry, it looks totally different. And that's what I teach women. When a man comes back to you and says, I'm sorry, and I, I want to fix it, stop right there. He better come back with so much more that's greater than him to show you that he's been a part of it. Don't even listen. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, Keith. Um, 
So after your divorce, what was the mm -hmm. process? I know you went back, you lived with your mother, your grandmother, and you had to put the pieces back together again, because I think a lot of times we focus on the women putting the pieces back together. And that's what I do. I minister mm -hmm. to women. I coach women that are starting over after divorce because I know that story, right? Mm -hmm. I know that pain. I know that struggle. Um, but we don't really talk a lot about the men. We don't talk about the hurt that they have to deal with. And I was telling someone the other day that, you know, men as boys were always told, suck it up, suck it up, get it together. Um, they weren't able to feel what they feel. And so therefore, when they get older um, and they get hurt, they just move on. They just move on. But oh, yeah. then that hurt is still sits on you. So what was your process? Um, well, first, that's that's a fantastic point, because that's actually why I work with women, to be able to present to them what that looks like from a male's point of view in terms of why we did what we did mm -hmm. and to actually give a look to what it can be. The process one, well, first and foremost, the first six months, I was just out of control. I was out and I think I tried to sleep with every woman possible because now I didn't have to go home at night. After the and divorce, after, after you left. After I left, um, because the thing that kept you at bay when you're out whoring, when you're married is you still gotta go home. So everybody else may lay up with their side chick. Now I got to figure out a way to come back in this house. And I still got to try to get home before the daylight comes up because I got to get in before my sons get up. Now you remove that barrier. It was just ridiculous. And I had my free fall. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And every, I have my <laughs> boys every really other million. weekend. <laughs> and then some. And so uh, I have my <laughs> right. sons every other weekend. And so basically having them in my mother's house once they were let down and sleep i'm hitting the streets and so i could hit the streets when i had them i could hit the streets when i didn't i could hit the streets during the week so for those next six months it was out of control central but it was my mom i remember i was coming in one sunday morning after hanging i think i had left the house thursday night or whatever it was and i was an educator too at the same time so i'm coming in sunday so you was a you was a whore and educator oh yeah i was a fantastic teacher one of the best teachers ever um <laughs> wow. Most whores have another life that they feed into with as much energy as they do as a whore. That's what makes them presentable to women. You're mm. not, you're not, I've been with, and I write this in my book, I've been with close to 300, 400 women, some ridiculous number like that. I started when I was 12. Um, wow. And it's some crazy number like that. I have seven children with six different women. I am the epitome of the worst thing that a man could be. And I say that because I want you to judge me. Don't act like you're not if you're watching this because I was all of that. And mm -hmm. so what happens is to be a good whore, you have to be very gifted in the way that you speak. You have to be handsome and you have to be arrogant and vain and all that. I was all of those things. And the reason why is as a good educator, because I knew how to funnel my energy into positive when I wanted to, I knew how to be what I needed to be. And what better place to be a whore than as a teacher, all these single women coming in and, and want a handsome, educated man, they would throw themselves at you. It was like, yo, you just sit back and be like, yeah, let's talk. Mm, Some women that's what the teachers be doing. A lot more than you realize. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it was my mom that said, so let me get this right. You leave your wife to go out and get AIDS. That's, that's your plan. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, nah, that's not the plan. She said, but look at what you're doing. You're coming here Sunday. You got the same clothes on you had on Friday. Mm. She's like, look at what you're doing. 
And the one thing that I teach men when I do work with them, listen to the women that you trust. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing they won't do is steer you wrong just to do that. I don't care if it's sister. I don't care if it's mom. I don't care if it's girlfriends. If it's somebody that you trust and love, they will do the things that are necessary to help you out. Now, whether you listen or not, is something different. It will tell you and the truth. Always, always. Yeah. And so for me, I remember that night praying. And like I said, I knew who God was. I just didn't have an intimate relationship with God. I remember praying and saying, God, just send me somebody who understands me. I didn't even ask for love because I didn't think I was worthy of love. I said, Lord, just send me somebody who understands me. And lo and behold, my wife, who I had met in 1995, I left my ex-wife in 2000. Five years earlier, I had met my ex-wife, tried to go out on a date with her. She realized I was married and said, I don't bother with married men. And that was the last we together. And I remember joking with a friend in 1995. I said, if I ever get out of my marriage, that's my little diamond in the rough. Me and her are going to be together. So I spoke into existence then but Amen. it's counteracted when you're sinning. Mm -hmm. So you can actually speak prophetic word into mm -hmm. a situation, even though you're in a sinful situation. Mm -hmm. This is why me and church folks fight each other. And they go, I don't, I don't, that's not scripturally correct. I go, really? So God didn't speak to Pontius's wife, a non-Christian, to give Pontius a word, to leave well, Jesus alone. And well, she had well. to break the rules of a woman speaking into a man's business. So why mm -hmm. did God give her a prophetic vision who wasn't a Christian? She was a mm -hmm. Roman. Mm -hmm. to help her husband out because God gave him the only out that he could, that he felt he deserved, which was through his wife. So he sent his wife. Now he didn't listen, but again, used a sinner to use for prophetic situations. So at that time, when I spoke it, I didn't know what it was going to be. So five years later, I run into my wife. She's getting off the bus. She's getting some food. And I happened to see her and I say, Hey, you, and we talked, I didn't know that that same night she prayed to God and said, send me somebody who loves me. I understand what I just said. She prayed for somebody to love her. I prayed for somebody to understand me. Lo and behold, that was going to be the anchor of our relationship as we got together a um, month or two later and literally have been together since. My divorce was final two and a half years after that. Um, we had all the baby mama drama that everybody had, but that's the key was that I asked for what I wanted. And then when God presented it to me, I didn't run from it, mm -hmm. but you don't change overnight. You don't become somebody different just because you want to. I didn't start to make my ascension to being a, a better man for God until 2006. So when you, when you first married her, got together with her, were you still cheating? Well, when I first got with my, my current wife, we started dating. I was separated from my wife, living at right. home with my mother and grandmother. We started dating and yes, I was still out cheating, but my wife, and she says this all the time when we do interviews together for the first three and a half, almost four years, she's like, I had no idea that, you know, he was out cheating because of how wonderful he was to me. Mm. And that was the old adage, take care of home. And I would make sure almost five years, really, um, I would make sure that my wife is well taken care of and then I'd go hit the streets. And there was no reason for her to think that I was out cheating because I was where I was supposed to be. I said I was supposed to be. I just came up with some very intricate lies and, and found willing victims, which is very easy to do, and played it out. And then when I got caught, and I got caught three times, and my wife and I joke about this now. I got caught three times. I didn't say I cheated three times. I oh, cheated absolutely. much more than that. I got absolutely. caught three times. But it was those three times that I was growing 
from my pain because I was getting sloppy because of my pain. I'm fighting with myself. I'm fighting with my spirit. And my wife saw all of that. And my wife realized whatever he's dealing with, that's on him, girlfriend at the time. Excuse me, I say wife now because of my wife. But she didn't allow my pain, my trash, whatever I was dealing with to affect who she was and how she saw things. She could see that I was growing. And each time I got caught, I, I made amends and I worked very hard and I was trying to, to grow as a man. But you really can't get there until you make a complete absolution that you are going to allow the man or person that you are to die. Yeah, I think my the question- individual. My question to you sure. would be why, why? Like, so you were doing it with your first wife. Mm-hmm. You you pray for your second wife, and mm-hmm. God answers your prayers, mm-hmm. and you continue with it. What was going on on the inside of Keith? Because there's something else going on. Of like, course. what was going on on the inside of Keith that you continue to do it, knowing that? She loved you. You loved her, but it was just something calling you out there. Um, well, and I know spiritually there was a war going on. That oh, flesh and that, that flesh course. and that spirit. I know of that course. on a spiritual level. But what was going on on the inside of Keith? What were you trying to overcome as far as that hurt? Well, it's that's and the it sex. Right there. I guess. I guess the sex was sort of like a band aid for the hurt. No, actually, the sex, the, the behavior altogether, I was abused when I was six, six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. I was abused by a male cousin, okay. never went to counseling. But what happens is hypersexuality comes from, it's actually an offshoot of, it's a form of, of self-medication. So some people will self-medicate with alcohol, some people drugs, but hypersexuality is another way of self-medicating because it's just a way of dealing with the pain that you go through. And then when you're a male child, as you mentioned earlier, a male child, not knowing how to present that you're in pain because you're told to internalize it. So then you can't be soft. So then how are you supposed to deal with anything that's going on? Then there's the other part, which nobody tends to talk about, which I wish more people would just admit. It's greed. See, once you, when you start having sex at 12 years old, like I did, well, then what is else out there for me? Well, what's out there is to get more of what's there, to have more, to, 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 and there's never enough. And you always find a willing participant. Then when I was 16, I had a 40 year old girlfriend. So her and I are having sex and she has a son who's 18. So she's sexually 40, 40 year old. Did you say 40? 40. And I'm 16 years old. So she's abusing me. Now, do I see it as abuse? No. Because she's not hurting me physically. And I talk mm. about this in the book. She's not hurting me physically. She's hurting me emotionally. And I'm going to tell you why. She is now arming a 16-year-old boy with knowledge he should not have. So here's mm. what she did. She left girls my age defenseless. My how God. is a 16-year-old girl going to be able to combat herself against me if I know how to please a woman? That same 40-year-old invited a 50-year-old woman to show up. And that's when I had my first opportunity to be with two women at the same time. And so again, both of them abusing a young man, but in their at mind. 16. Yes, at 16. Well, this is fave. This is shined upon. Listen, ask most men their first sexual experience, or most men who have been out there with a lot of women, they'll tell you that they've been with older women. Oh, a lot of yeah, times, whether it's a babysitter, a neighbor, if you have mm-hmm. brothers, they'll tell you. And the reason why is because the damaged women 
who were damaged by men like me, figure if I can get to them early, I get the stamina of a young man because it is, and I'm a former health teacher, men are at their prime between the ages of 14 and 22. They just get better as they get older in terms of how they do things, but their prime in terms of just the turnaround ability between the ages of 14 and 22, you're at your best. And of course, that's when you make some of your biggest mistakes. So here she was like, okay, I've been abused by men and I can't trust any men, but this young man is making me feel good. Okay, let's go. And so she brings her girlfriend. When I said, you you want me to do what I do to you to her? She was like, yes. I said, okay, you want a problem with it? Sure. So why would I be upset with that? And here's another problem, older men. Older men who should be the leads, who should be able to explain to young men what they should do and how they should do it. They were encouraging it because I was a street kid. So they were like, yo, bro, you want to get out here and get with as many women as possible because that's the game. And now again, keep the game. Now I get with younger women with all this knowledge and I get older guys saying, if you get with a girl who's a virgin, you got to make a bleed because then you'll own it. So again, ownership of one's body and soul, Hmm. not actually experiencing or sharing of one's body and soul. And so when you are armed with that type of knowledge, you go out and do some very devastating things. And they were just damaging you. And I was and hurt people, hurt people and abused people, abused people. Yeah. And so I literally was a whirlwind because if you search for sex, it will always be there. Sex is always there. Sex is there on every level. Sex is there at every income bracket. Sex is on every block. There's some homeless man and woman out there getting it in right now. And there's some rich folks out there getting it in right now. doesn't make a difference whether you're white or black. doesn't make a difference where you are on this planet. Sex is the thing that cuts through all the foolishness. Sex is the only thing that God will let you out of marriage for. Infidelity. Mm. Yeah. Everything else he says you can work through. But infidelity says, nope, you can get a divorce for that because of the internal damage that you do to yourself spiritually and emotionally when you go out and have sex in the way I did or anybody does. That's the problem. And one of the things that I do when I, and I have a mentor group now of a couple of men I see, young men that I see twice a week, or when I go out to speak to young men, and I, I used to in New York, I explained to them that I'm not happy. And I don't want awards because I've been with close to 400 women. That's 400 women who now know what me and my wife share. Mm-hmm. I have to live with that. And I have to keep that at the forefront of what I do, because that's why I'm so hard on trying to get young men not to go that route and why I work so hard to get women to realize that they got to slam the door and say no, because men need to hear no. We need Mm -hmm. to work for it. We need to to, to find ways to get to the higher levels to get to you, not you opening up the door because once you open that door, you cannot get the devil out. Yeah. The devil is driving that behavior. Absolutely. And that's what it was for me. And so for the first four, four and a half, almost five years, that was what my behavior was. It took me not only just an admission of what was going on, it took two years, but it was hearing God's voice. And I talk about this. Um, it was hearing God's voice that helped me turn myself around. And I know some people hear it and they don't believe it. And some people I hear women say, once a cheater, always a cheater. I said, you know, you're calling God a liar, right? Mm. And they go, what? I go, do you believe that men can change? And when they say no, I say, then you're calling God a liar. Because God says, I take the worst yes, and use them simply because I take away any opportunity for you to say, well, they was destined to be great anyway, because they came from great stock. No, he takes the worst on purpose 
Yeah. So if you say men can't change, well, then you show me in the scripture where that's supported because the God I pray to doesn't support that. So Keith, breathe again is a moment of hope, inspiration, sure. and solution. So we talk about what happened, but we also want to give some tools and tips and resources mm-hmm. um, to share with them, to let them know that sure. first, God is no respecter of person. And if he did it for you, he will definitely do it for them. So I want you to do two things. Um, I normally ask individuals to minister just for um, a minute or so to that person that's hurting right now. But I want you to do two things. I want you to minister to that woman that is broken right now from the cheating, the cheating spouse, the the repeated behavior of the cheating spouse, um, and is really stuck. They've already divorced. And they're trying to start over, but they're still stuck. They're hurt and they're stuck right there. Why did that happen to me? So I want you to minister to that person, that woman. But I also want you to go a step further. And I want you to minister to that man, that man that may be the one that's inflicting the hurt and the pain on someone else and does not know how to, to stop. And I know we sometimes will say, well, just stop. But it's not as easy as we say. And I had to learn that because I would say that, well, just stop. But it's not that easy. It's not as simple as that. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, First, sister, and I don't know who needs to hear this. So please, if you're feeling pain, just get a little closer to your your phone or your, your computer. First of all, sister, let me just say this. It's not your fault. All right. That's the first thing. Even if you gave in to a man like I used to be, it's not your fault because you can't control somebody else's behavior. You can't love a person through their pain. They have to allow you in. And if that man didn't allow you in and he made you the victim of his pain, you're a victim. But here's what you need to do and what you have to consider. Once you understand that it's not your fault, what you then have to do is then be the cause of the solution be the focus of your solution and what i mean by that is one get help get help because you need to be able to talk to somebody to let that negative energy out that spirit has to go and you got to find someone that's going to allow you to pour that out and not replace it with something negative so turn to the lord and turn to the turn to the cold turn to myself turn to those of us who come to the table with the idea of being able to help you without asking anything from you The other thing is, know that it's going to take time. Time does heal all wounds. But one thing that time does, it gives you a chance to exhale. It gives you a chance to breathe. And then I want you to understand that God knew you would be here. So why would God allow you to go through this and not have a way out for you? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has befalled you, which that is common to man. But... God will always grant you a way out. We always seem to forget the rest of that scripture. Way so really your prayer, way of escape. There you go. And, yes, and our sir. prayers, your prayers have to change too. Lord, you chose me for this situation. Grant me clarity to see how to use it. Don't ask why. He is not going to tell you. He tells you, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. But here's what you ask him. Lord, you chose me to be here. Grant me the clarity to use this information for good. How do I help somebody else 
And believe it or not, in asking to help somebody else, you will be helping yourself. Because to help somebody else, you're going to line yourself up to be able to speak, line yourself up to be able to embrace what they're saying. And believe it or not, through them, you will start to heal when somebody says, I thought I was all alone feeling this way. And then you'll be just like Elijah in that cave when God said there's 7,000 you don't even know anything about. So I would say to you, please understand that your pain is not unusual. Your pain is not unique. The only thing unique is you. But if you hold on to the pain, it'll seem like your pain is a part of you. It is a small part. It's loud now because it's resonating. Once you calm it down, it, it can go. And trust and believe that God will make that happen. You just have to believe that. Now to my brothers, first and foremost, one, learn how to say I'm sorry. First to yourself. Apologize to yourself to anything that might have happened to you that was out of your control. It wasn't your control. But here's the thing that I also want you to do when you look in that mirror. Own your damage. Own what you've done. Own what you've said. Own what you did. Own every lie. And then decide you're going to be a different man. Decide that you want to be something different. And that's what you go to God with. First, Lord, forgive me. First, read Psalms 51. Those first 11 verses, David begs the Lord not to take the Holy Spirit from him. Why? David humped another man's wife, mm. lied and cost three men their lives trying to cover up his lie. Mm. So what happened? God said, okay, I'm going to take three of your children, three male children for the males that you took. And I'm going to have your daughter violated by her own brother. So you violated a woman. I'm going to violate your daughter. And you know what? David understood and David prayed. And God said, David's one closest to his, 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 his bosom. Whoa, wait a minute. So this wild, nasty dude was closer to God than anybody else? Yes, because he never actually departed from God. That's why Psalms 51 is so big. He says, Lord, the only one I've sinned against is you. So don't take this from me. Now, if David is begging for the Holy Spirit not to be taken away, and we have it as a gift. Come on now, come on. Then one of the first things that you need to say is, Lord, you granted me this Holy Spirit, but I have misused it. Forgive me. Come on, and sir. And start to, in the same prayer you just heard me ask the sister, is what I need you to do. Ask for clarity. Ask for clarity. Lord, grant me the clarity to understand what it's going to take for me to get out this hole that I've created for myself. And of course, you too should go find help. And in that help, Build yourself up with the understanding that you are not a mistake. And the things that you did were not mistakes. They were just poor choices. Mm -hmm. And that God has a plan for you. And then whatever that plan is, live it out and live it completely. And you will see that God will grant you where he wants you to go. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to pay for your sins. Please understand. Please understand. You are going to pay for your sins. And the wages of sin is death. But God never told you which type of death. Mm -hmm. So you automatically assume physical death. There might be death of your finances, death of your social status, death of your apartment, death of a relationship. Come on, Sarah. God never told us which death, but there's death comes in many forms. Yes. And you have to be willing to accept that. And once you do, well, just like Job, God will replace what is taken from you if he chooses to. But you got to be willing for that. Remember. Paul ended up in jail and wrote those letters of the New Testament from jail and then eventually finished with his head cut off. 
But God said to Ananias, Paul will pay for his crimes. So God actually said Paul was going to catch it before he actually became Paul. You got to be willing to accept that. And I have. And some of the things that I have not had, some of the things that I have given up, just part of the game. But I'm here. And if you're listening to me, then I'm proof that God hears all and heals all. Okay. And so I hope that to both of you, whoever this is needed, that you understand that God is greater than you've ever thought and greater than any sin that you could have created. But you have to trust that he has a plan for it and allow him to take it. And if you give it to him, he'll do something with it. That's good stuff. That's good stuff, Keith. And that is our time. Look, um, why don't you tell the audience how they can reach you? What's your contact information? Sure. Is there a website? Of course. I have, actually I have two. Um, my counseling website is Braven, that's B-R-A-V-I-N, Braven Consultants, with an S, consultants.com, bravenconsultants.com. That is my counseling website. That is where if you need to set up any type of group counseling, individual counseling, or anything of that nature, you can reach out to me there. My publishing website where I do publish my own works, I've written five, five books, and I help authors work in creating their books is Braven Publishing, B-R-A-V-I-N publishing.com. I am on all social media sites, Facebook. I am Keith K.L. Belvin. On Instagram, I am From Gigolo to Jesus, which is the title of my most popular book. Um, everywhere else, I'm Keith K.L. Belvin. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I can be found if you need to find me. And one of the things that I say all the time is that I invite people to bring me their pain. And the reason why I do that is because I want to help those that were either broken by a man like me or someone who needs to understand a man like I was. I also live by a very simple hashtag and actually bring me your pain is one of them. But my most important hashtag is we can fix this. And the reason why I believe this in is simple. God said when two or more about when two or more together, he is about. So when I say we can fix this, it is because when there is a we, God is present. And yeah. if God is present, then there's nothing that we can't do. So yeah. when I say we can fix this, it is because my belief in God is that there is nothing that he can't fix. And that is always my belief when I come to the table. And I am a true empath in terms of I absorb your pain mm -hmm. and then I'm able to disperse it and not hold on to it. That is actually my gift. That is actually what I misused those 37 years. But the last 17 years, I've served God with it and I've seen it work. So that's, that's how you that's good stuff. Good stuff, Keith. Thank, thank you so much for joining me. And tell me just a little bit, tell the audience well, a little bit about From Gigolo to Jesus and how they can purchase it. Sure. From Gigolo to Jesus is um, my title. I wrote that. It's my memoir. It's um, my autobi autobiography. And the reason why I wrote it was I wanted to tell my own story. And I wanted to publish my own story because um, originally somebody tried to get me to change the title, so take Jesus out the title and because you're not going to be able to sell it that way and all this other stuff. And I just said, no, I wrote my own story because I wanted to tell my story as is, as it was with all the dirt. So from Gigolo to Jesus was published in 2010. Um, I've been featured in Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, and I was a part of Black Expressions Book Club then when it was a part of all of um, our national magazines. And in 2020, next year, 2022, I am doing a second part, which is from Gigolo to Jesus. But this part is 
10 steps on personal growth and spiritual transformation. So what I'm actually going to walk you through is through 10 steps on how to change your life, how to, to go through a spiritual transformation. And the book will be the prelude to a course where you're going to work with me over an eight week period on how to be able to make those personal changes, to make those spiritual changes, to grow into the person that God created you to be, find yourself and, and understand who you are. And even with all of that, there'll be a, a private group to come to. So you'll be able to work on it because what I'm doing now is that it is so much about the people that I'm trying to help that from Gigolo to Jesus is the bridge that I'm using because the title says it all. And people ask me, well, so you was a gigolo and now you call yourself Jesus? No. A gigolo is somebody who takes on many different faces to become whatever the person who pays him to be becomes. That's what I was. I was a chameleon. I could become whatever somebody needed me to be for sex. Jesus, I am not Jesus. But when I say from gigolo to Jesus, that is the direction that I am going in. And if you see my book cover, you will see a rearview mirror. In the rearview mirror is a messed up bed, but out on the horizon is a cross. So I am heading in the direction of Jesus because that is where I'm praying that I end up and do enough that when my time is read in the book of life, that I have made enough for the Lord to say, you know, you did a pretty good job. Come on in here. So well that but from Jiggle to Jesus. Well done, my, my, my faithful servant. So yes, yes, yes. And how can they purchase that? Is that on Amazon or they get that yes, off your website? Here's the thing. I would say go to my website. It is Anywhere books are sold, the original copy, the first one, the second one has not been released yet. It will be released in, in 2022. But I would say this, go to one of my websites to purchase my book because Jeff Bezos has already made $100 billion. And Jeff say Bezos that. takes 55% from the mm -hmm. authors who place their books on his website. 55% he takes mm -hmm. right off the top. So you give Jeff Bezos more money than you get from me when you buy my book buy it from my website, I control that 100%, and then all proceeds go to me, which I put back into what I do. We know that Jeff Bezos is not putting it back into the hands of the people that give it to him with all the problems they have with folks at Amazon. So yes, go to my website if you can, but if you just feel the only way you want to buy books is through Amazon or Barnes & Noble, by all means, but my book is Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, um, Amazon, it's anywhere books are sold around the world. Actually, I'm on all, I've sold books on all seven continents. Um, but I would definitely say come to my website. Awesome. Awesome. This is good, good, good. I can't wait for, for people to listen and to hear your story. Mm -hmm. God bless you. And thank you so much thank for joining me. You. Thank you, Nicole. Appreciate you. God bless. After the pain, after the rain, after Dream again.